You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. All right, Acts chapter 9. If you're there, the title to today's message is Supernatural Healing. Together we're going to look at a miracle which is one of those, by definition, supernatural. It can't happen in nature. Something has to intervene. Something has to come in, restore, mend, fix, repair, heal. Spoiler alert, someone's getting healed today, okay? That's just so you know how it's going to end. Supernatural healing is going to happen. The point of these verses, I believe, as we will see, is a fresh look at who Jesus is and what he can do. Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I could use that. Yeah, I'm, praise the Lord. The early church who this was happening for, they definitely could use it. If you think about kind of getting yourself in a little bit of the context, Jesus has died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and there's been some major opposition to the church. And so they would have been feeling all sorts of things. Maybe you feel some of these things too. Maybe you feel discouraged. Maybe you're afraid Maybe you have despair or frustration or loneliness or hurt. Maybe you're feeling hopeless or complacent or apathetic. Maybe you're wondering if all of this stuff about Jesus is really true. Maybe you're finding yourself in one of these places today like they did. Or maybe you're here and you don't want to find yourself in one of those places. That's what this passage is here for. It's here for the people in the book of Acts and it's here for us today to know this. That Jesus is not dead. That Jesus has risen that Jesus is God, that Jesus does love us, that Jesus does care for us, he does help, he does take care, he can do it, he is able, which all just sets the scene for a supernatural come down from heaven kind of miracle. So from time to time as we're going through the book of Acts this year, we can't hit every verse. And so today's one of those days we're going to finish the chapter in Acts in chapter 9, but I'm only going to speak on four verses, but there's like 25 of them. So let me kind of give you, just look in your Bibles at Acts chapter 9, and let me kind of run you through some things that have been happening here, okay? Last week we learned in verse 18, you can see it there. Paul is converted, he gives his life to Christ, he becomes a Christ follower, and is baptized. You think about how big of a deal this was for the early church. (coughs) Excuse me. This was the guy who was the captain of the team opposing them, and he has literally switched teams. He is now on the Christ follower team. This is a huge deal. In verse 20, he proclaims publicly that Jesus is the Son of God. In verse 22 there, you can see he now begins to preach messages, blowing people's minds, proving that Jesus is the Christ, so much so that all of the people who were with him who did oppose the Christians, now they're like, We can't have this guy working against us anymore. We got to get rid of him. And so in verses 23 through 25, they're like, we have to kill him. And so those Christ followers who are around him at this point are like, we got to get you out of here. So it's a really cool story. Go and read it later. They put him in a basket. They lower him out a window or something down a wall and help him escape. And he goes to Jerusalem. And so you can see there in verses 26 through 30, he gets to Jerusalem. And for good reason, the Christians in Jerusalem, the disciples, they're like, we're not sure we want to hang out with you because you were on a mission to kill Christians. And so they don't let him into their fellowship, but there's this guy named Barnabas, and he kind of vouches for him, and he gets him in, and it's the, eventually, it's okay, Saul loves Jesus, we get this now. And then he begins to preach in Jerusalem so much that even in Jerusalem now, they're like, okay, no, we really got to get rid of this guy. So there's more threats against his life. And so they send him off to like, you need to to go. You need to not be here. You need to be in protection, kind of like witness protection kind of thing. Go away. Learn some theology more. And and so what happens is peace finally comes 
to the early church. Check it out with me, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Check it out. It multiplied. It multiplied. The next few, starting with the passage we're going to look at right after this, are stories about how the church is multiplying, about how the church is growing, about what God is doing. So read with me our passage today, verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them, uh, among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas bedridden for eight years who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. This is the fame of Jesus going forward. This is the multiplication of the early church. This is the gates of hell will not prevail against the advancing of the kingdom. This is, it doesn't matter who you are, captain of what team, if you're opposing Jesus, you don't win. His plan goes forward every time. There is no opposition that makes God's plan impossible. That's a word for somebody here today. There is no opposition that makes God's plan impossible. And so this is how it starts, and Peter is used. Now, in the rest of the chapter, in verses 36 through 43, I would encourage you to go read this later. We're not going to look at this story, but this is where this lady named uh, Dorcas or Tabitha, she, she dies, and she is raised from the dead which is amazing. Again, supernatural healing. I guess that sermon would be called supernatural resurrection, but that's not the sermon for today. So, but go read that. And some of the principles that we're going to look at today, they transfer over to that. So I would encourage you to read that later and look at it again. All right. So our text, verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them, he came down also to the saints. See that there, the word saints? Peter is going around and essentially he's going, the journey that he's taking is similar to the one that Philip took. Remember, we learned about Philip a couple weeks ago in the Ethiopian eunuch, and he comes and he meets him. And so people had gone out from Jerusalem at Pentecost, and then as opposition came, they had gone out. And no doubt, as they got to these little towns and these little places, they, they spread the gospel. They were telling others about Jesus. Well, Peter's on this kind of like mission trip to go around and make sure everyone has like sound doctrine, and they all believe correct theology. And so as he's going around, this possibly could have been started by Philip or somebody else who goes out. He comes to this town and he meets these saints. See that word there, saints? Now that's not anything special about these people because prior to, it wasn't until Acts 11.26 that Christ followers were called Christians. Prior to this, if you loved Jesus, you were called a saint. So he gets there and he's hanging out with all of these Christ followers. Now look what it says there in verse 33. There he found a man named Aeneas. Now, can we just all agree that he didn't, like, stumble upon this guy? This wasn't an accident. He was like, oh, Aeneas. Oh, nice to meet you. Like, no, no. This is God's sovereign plan over all of this. It's important that we get this. This doesn't happen by accident. God is working something out here for everybody involved, for Aeneas and for all the people in Lydda and in the surrounding area of Sharon. All of this is for God's glory. And I would have you write down these two passages to help you understand this, Matthew 9 and Mark 2. This is why I think this is so important. This is why it's no accident that he runs into Aeneas. In Matthew 9 and in Mark 2, Jesus heals a man who's paralyzed. They bring him to him. Uh, one of them recordings records that he gets lowered through the roof. These guys, they're friends. 
of the paralyzed man, they bring him to Jesus, and Jesus sees him there lying on the mat, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And everyone in the room's like, what do you think, you can just say your sins are forgiven and your sins are forgiven? Like, who can do that? Who are you that thinks that you can do that? Jesus knows this, and so he asks the question, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or rise, get up, and walk? Now, the answer is to say your sins are forgiven, because anybody who can talk can say that. But to actually do that, Nah, that's not so easy. So Jesus says this, and he says it the same in Matthew and in Mark. He says, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. Rise, pick up your bed, and walk. So Jesus here, working through Peter, rolling into Lida, where all these people are discouraged. We heard about this Jesus guy. There's some guy came to our town a little while ago, and he was telling us about him. Wasn't he the guy over by the Sea of Galilee? It was all like stormy, and he calmed it. And there's a whole bunch of hungry people, and he fed them. But didn't he die? I thought he died. And then some people said he rose from the dead. Is he really alive? Peter rolls into town. That you may know. All of the questions that you have about Jesus are answered in his power and his might and his authority. And he proves it when he walks up to Aeneas, laying there on the ground, and through Peter says, get up and walk. Arise, my brother. Your legs work again. How awesome is that? Now, this is why this story is here. It's to help us understand who Jesus is in such a way that our faith fills and grows and strengthens us. Because all of these people, they're in this town, and you've got to imagine, just like many of us, they could use a little boost in the arm, a little shot of confidence in the reliability and the dependability of Jesus. And it's kind of like Peter rolls into town, and he's like, oh, you guys are you're not sure about Jesus? Watch what he can do. Check this out. Hey, everybody, hey, everybody, look over here. Jesus Christ, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. So three things I want us to see from this passage, okay? Here's the first one. This is point number one this morning. I know, uh, know how desperate I am. I gotta know how desperate I am. You gotta know how desperate you are. You're like, what do you mean know how desperate I am? Well, it's easy for us to see this in Aeneas' life. Luke, as he's recording this for us, he writes that he's been bedridden for eight years. He's paralyzed. This is a sad scene. This would be a difficult thing to come across. Even though it's in God's sovereign plan, Peter didn't just stumble upon this guy. God placed him there. He came into his life, and Peter comes and he meets him. We don't know whether this is at Aeneas' house or at somebody else's house. I kind of, in my imagination, it's like Peter's visiting all of these believers, and they're, one of them's like, hey, I have this friend. He's paralyzed. I'm going to go bring him food. Because if you think about it, he's paralyzed. He's on a mat. He can't do anything, right? He is restricted to that mat. Healthcare at the time is simply surviving. You do everything on that mat. You eat on that mat. You sleep on that mat. You try to get off that mat if you need to go to the washroom. If you need to go anywhere, someone's got to help you. And so in my imagination, someone's like, yo, Peter, come with me. I'm going to go meet this guy. And Peter gets there and he's like, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And Aeneas, he knows I need help. Like I'm stuck here on this mat. What am I ever going to do? It's been eight years. Think about what you were doing eight years ago. The same thing ever since then. Sitting on this mat, lying there on the ground. Aeneas knows he needs some supernatural help. He needs God to do something. He needs God to intervene in a radical and miraculous way. Do we? Now, it's easy to say yes, but often we don't live like it. Because ever since Genesis 3... 
when the serpent came and lied to Adam and Eve and said, hey, you can be like God. We've thought we could be like God and figure it out on our own. We don't need help. I'm pretty smart. No, that's a lie. No, I can figure out my situation. I can struggle through my sin. I can have victory on my own. I can battle this temptation. I can have victory. Blah, 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 blah. Lie, 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 lie. We can't. We are desperate all the time. Completely desperate. If you're sitting here right now and you're like, I'm not that desperate, that's a lie. That's a lie. We are all desperate all the time. Now, this is twofold. Let me help you see this. The first one is this, okay? We are desperate in that all of us are stuck on the eternal consequences of sin mat. And there is no way to get off this mat on our own. Jesus is our only hope. So Jesus comes and he lays down his life, he who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets off the mat except through him. No one gets forgiveness except through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today, before we go any further, you just need to hear that. That God loves you and he cares for you. There's lots of things going on in your life. But the biggest and most important thing that anybody ever needs to care about is their sin and their relationship with Jesus. And in his love and in his mercy, he wants to help you. This is why he laid down his life, that if you believe in him, if you put your faith and trust in him, you can be forgiven. This is the first part. The second part is if you have gotten off that mat, if you have understood that and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, you are freed from that. The problem is we live in this sin-cursed world and there's all these other little mats that we kind of climb onto all the time. Maybe you haven't climbed onto a mat, but, but you find yourself on one. This happens in all sorts of different ways. We climb onto these mats of sin with our ungodly habits, our selfishness. We climb onto these mats of addiction. We climb onto the mat of anger. And we feel like we're stuck on it. We know, I know I can't get off this, but it's just been this routine. And, and this, this anger has boiled over into my marriage. And now my marriage feels like this mat that I'm just stuck on. And I need God to intervene and God to help me with. And today, let me remind you, loved ones, there is no mat that God can't get you off of. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, the mat that I'm on, I didn't choose to be on. I'm standing here on this mat with my wayward child. They don't love Jesus at all, and I'm not giving up on them, and I'm holding on, and that's what it feels like to you. Listen, loved one, I don't know why you're on that mat. We don't know why Aeneas is paralyzed, but we know that he is. And we also know that in his love and in his mercy, God knew exactly where he was, and God knows exactly where you are. You might be sitting on a mat where you don't know what's going to happen with the illness of yourself or a loved one in your family, and you've been there for maybe longer than eight years, maybe not very many years, maybe it's going to be a lot more years. Eight isn't some magic number here for us. But it is to help us know that sometimes these things don't come and go very quickly. But God, in his love and in his grace, he wants us to recognize whether we chose to be on the mat or whether in his sovereign plan as he reveals his love and his power and his ability to rescue and redeem and correct and heal us, that we need him. He is what we need the most. I got to tell you, as I was preparing this message all week, 
I've just been desperately seeing more and more areas in my life where I'm just like, I need help, I need help, I need help, I need help. People are asking me this week, how are you doing? I'm just like, I need help. I'm just all week, I'm just a disaster. This is how we should all be all the time. And let me tell you why. I'm so excited about it because it just causes me to be more dependent on the Lord. It causes me to get it more how much I need his help. It causes me to know how desperate I am. You ever have like a memory that you're trying to think back to and you're trying to remember when it was, but you can't kind of remember when it was and some weird thing about it like jogs your memory? So this memory that I have I want to tell you about, I, the only thing that I can remember time-wise is what car I owned at the time, which was a white 95 Cavalier a hand-me-down after Bible college kind of thing from my parents. I'm not sure whether my wife and I were dating, engaged, or early in our marriage. I'm not sure when it happens in there, but let me tell you why this is important, okay? So one night, we were uh, visiting some friends in Guelph, and we were coming down Highway 6 north of the 401, so it's kind of like separated highway there. We're coming down, and, um, and it's just heavy, heavy snow coming down. So much snow that it's like dragging on the bottom of the car as we're driving along. And as Canadians, we know what this is like. You see those four little patches of pavement where the tires have gone before, and you stay in those patches, right? Well, I had been in the right lane, and we came across somebody who was just moving far too slow for my comfort level. And so I slowly inched my way over across those big, heavy slush lines, just paranoid the whole way. And we got well ahead of them. And then it was like, all right, I need to get out of this lane because if somebody with four-wheel drive, not a Cavalier, comes along, they're not going to want me in this lane. And so it was finally like, okay. And I remember like kind of going once and feeling like the wiggle. And it's like, whoa, no, let's go back. Let's just sit here, pray a little more, and this, you're kind of you're kind of holding on. And then finally, it was like, all right, I got to go over. And I can still, almost as if I'm holding the steering wheel right now, remember that feeling as I went to go, and all of a sudden, the car just went, <laughs> and we're sliding, sliding, and then off the edge of the road and down this huge embankment. Don't worry, we were okay. Farmer's field, nothing at the bottom. We just slid out backwards, though. It's like 30-something feet down this thing. Whoosh, we're down there, and I remember we just kind of stopped, and we were like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay, all right. Okay, okay, we're okay, good, all right. And then immediately, I just put her back in drive and drove right out of there. <laughs> no, of course that didn't happen. <laughs> I'm stuck in this ditch. There's no way I can get out of there, right? Okay, listen, this is us with our sins so often. We are stuck in the ditch hopeless and helpless on our own with no ability on our own to get ourselves out of there. In fact, if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, you're stuck on that mat. If you have and you are forgiven of that, but you willfully climb back onto mats, you can't have victory over theirs, those any more than you could have before. It's only through the grace of God working in and through your life that you're able to have any victory over sin, that I'm able to have any victory over sin is because of Jesus. And so today he wants us to see, hey, you're stuck. Maybe you got yourself stuck. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you're sitting there and you feel like you're down a way bigger than a 30-foot embankment and the car's upside down. You're real serious in trouble down there. You're real desperate for the Lord. And you didn't get yourself there on purpose. The issue that we, you would call the mat in your marriage is not honestly caused by you. But there's nothing you can do to get off that mat. And the Lord is saying to you today, listen, loved one, I care and I know where you are. Maybe you're down there and you're on the mat of illness. And God is saying, listen, I am the answer. I am the hope. 
the reason why Peter is traveling around and he is talking to these people in Lida and all of this area is that they would not be stuck without hope, that they would know and have confidence in Jesus, that their independence that they think that they have, that we think that we have, would not lead to our self-destruction trying to fix our own problems, revving the tires, stuck in the ditch. There is hope. Jesus is the hope. We need to admit and know our desperate situation more often and think about it more readily, more focused, so that we won't try and do it on our own, so that we won't believe the lie of the evil one, but we will know, look, and embrace the hope in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter gets, and he gets to give it to to Aeneas here. Verse 34, read with me. Aeneas, so Peter turns to him, Aeneas Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Peter's pretty clear about this. He isn't doing this. This is a Jesus thing. This isn't a Peter thing. Jesus brings help for the hurt. He brings deliverance for the desperate. This is point number two. Embrace Jesus' deliverance. Embrace the deliverance that Jesus has. Look what Peter says there. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. That's a present tense thing. That isn't a he can or he might or he will, but this is a, hey, Aeneas, brother, I love you. Wiggle your toes. I know you haven't been able to do it in eight years, but check out your toes, man. They're moving. Wiggle your legs, brother. Give me your hand. Let me help you up because Jesus Christ is healing you. Supernatural healing comes to Aeneas. Now, why is this important? I would give you three reasons. The first is that it brings validity to all the previous claims about Jesus. You wondered whether I calmed the sea. You wondered whether I fed those people. You wondered if I died on the cross and rose from the dead. That you may know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin. That you may know that all of the things that you heard about Jesus are true. Here's the proof. Here's the evidence. Aeneas, rise. Aeneas, pick up your bed. Aeneas, get up. How awesome is that? Jesus is who he says he is, almighty, all-powerful, completely gracious and merciful, knowing exactly what was needed and when was the perfect timing. Now, would Aeneas have felt that? He probably would have liked for him to come like seven years and 11 months earlier. But God in his sovereignty knew. Now, second thing is, this brings much glory to God. Because as this happens and the the validation of Jesus happens, and and Peter makes it really clear. This isn't like Peter being like, bless you, my brother, I heal you. No, not at all. He's like, Jesus Christ. Like, if there's any confusion about where the power and the authority lies, let that be gone with the first things that he says to him. Jesus Christ heals you. And the third thing that's so amazing about this is Aeneas gets to walk. We all just agree that that's amazing. I know we're not actually there, but this is the closest we can do to get there is read God's word, to be in the story. This guy who was paralyzed, who hadn't walked for eight years, is now getting up. Who's the guy running around the house consistently? He's jumping up and down and doing jumping. Oh, that's Aeneas. Why is he doing that? He was paralyzed for eight years and Jesus healed him. Wow, that's amazing. This is what Jesus can do. This is the power that he has. He can make those who don't walk, walk again. Rise, make your bed. There's a call for action here that Peter calls to him as well. Now, I'd be remiss to move on from this and not just recognize that parents, 
We ask for this miracle all of the time in our kids' lives, don't we? Almost every morning, we go into our kids' rooms and we say, rise and make your bed. (laughs) And nothing happens. This morning, I went into my son's room. He had risen, but he had not made his bed. I was like, where is he? I don't know. I'm going to go find him now. No. Okay, but look, look at when Peter says this, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. Look what it says next. Maybe underline that word. Immediately, without hesitation. Parents are like, amen. We need more of that in my house. But without hesitation, he embraces the, the help that God has for him. He grabs onto it immediately, embracing the deliverance that Jesus has. So remember when I put my car in the ditch? There was a tow truck driver going the other way, and he saw our lights as we spun around, and we put her down in the ditch there. And um, so he turned around and came, and by the time I got out of my car, now check this out for the sovereignty of God. I had just, this is how old this is, I had just gotten a cell phone that winter, because I thought, maybe I'll put my car in the ditch this winter. This was going to be the first time I got to use the cell phone. And I didn't get to use it because I get out of the car. I walk around it. I'm like deep in the snow. I climb up the snowbank, and I'm about to call CAA, and this tow truck driver comes along. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said something like, hey, I can get you out of there. And I said, no, thanks. I'd like to stay stuck in the ditch for the rest of the night. (laughs) No, I didn't say that. But listen, this is what we say to the Lord so often. When he's like, I have a plan, I have a solution, I have help, I have grace, I have mercy to give. And we're like, I think I can do it on my own. That's lies from the evil one. He knows our difficulty. He knows our chaos. He knows the ditch that you feel stuck in. Why do we resist his plan? Now, for the people who are in this room right now, and the reality is you have climbed onto that mat. You drove yourself down into the ditch. The difficulty in your marriage, the addiction, the anger that's driven away your kids, the selfishness, the pride that has pushed away friends, the discontentment and lack of faith in God's plan have caused you to hate your job. Listen, Jesus is saying to you today, listen, I love you and I care for you and I have a plan for you. It might not be the plan that you wanted, but I, I have a plan for you. Peter doesn't say, hey, Aeneas, rise and walk for nothing. He says it because he doesn't want him to sit there on the mat anymore. He doesn't say, hey, Jesus Christ heals you. Don't get up. Because he wants him to have this new life. Jesus has come along and he has worked in our lives so we don't have to be stuck in these things anymore. But there's a call to a faithful obedience. There's a call to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. There's a call to live the life that God has called us to. And this isn't always easy. We can't do it on our own. But it starts with knowing we need help and knowing Jesus is the solution and saying, okay, then I need you to help me. Because maybe you've willfully climbed onto a mat that you'd now like to get off of. And Jesus is saying to you, okay, but here's what I need you to do. And it probably isn't going to be as easy as rise and make your bed. There's going to be some difficulty there. But still there's people, and you're on a mat that you didn't choose to be on. And it's a struggle. And loved one, I don't mean to make your situation seem small, only to make our God seem big. God's love and plan are not incompatible with our chaos. 
It might feel like that sometimes, but God knows. God cares. He wants to help. He is helping. It would be so much worse if he wasn't intervening as much as he already is in our lives. God's word doesn't promise a perfect life here on earth. We live on a sin-cursed planet. His word does promise a perfect life in eternity. But that doesn't mean that he can't work out a plan here. So how do we trust him? Well, we trust him because we know that while we were yet sinners, while we were still stuck willfully on the mat of sin, while we were yet sinners, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. The truth and the reality of the cross should be the motivating factor for our lives to live for God, even when it's difficult, because we know that we didn't do anything to rescue ourselves from our biggest problem, our greatest dependence. We were only delivered by God's grace, and that should fuel us with faith and confidence to trust him. So God's calling us to respond. Maybe you're here today, and you know that God is calling you to action. He's saying, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and walk. There's, there's something that we need to do there as well. Now, it's not, hey, rise and walk, fix your own problem. We've been trying to do that long enough. But we need God to intervene. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said it like this. Christians should work as if it all depends on us and pray as if it all depends on God. I like that. I'm going to do everything in my capability, but I'm going to completely understand that I need the Lord to make this happen. And I need him to work in and through my life. The problem is that sometimes we're way too comfortable on the mat. May the Lord be revealing to us more and more the seriousness of sitting on that mat. But maybe you're here again and you didn't put yourself on that mat. You don't want to be on that mat. You'd like to get off that mat. And Jesus is saying to you today, I knew Aeneas was there. Peter didn't just find him. I know where you are. I don't have to find you. I know you. I love you. I sent my son Jesus for you. Embrace the deliverance that Jesus has for you in trusting in him and in his plan. He cares so much. And the result will be this. This is point number three. To live with faith-filled dependence. Live with faith-filled dependence. Now, maybe you're like, well, how do I actually practically do that? What does it look like to live with faith-filled dependence? Read with me verse 35. And all the residents of Leda and Sharon. Now, let me just kind of help you out in case you're not up on your Middle East geography. Leda is a town. Sharon is the region. It's kind of like all the people of Oakville and Halton region. Okay? All of these people. This is a massive group of people. They saw him and they turned to the Lord. The testimony of God's great work is evident to all of these people in so much that it transforms lives. In John 12, 11, almost the same thing happens when Jesus heals Lazarus. You know the story, right? Lazarus is, has passed away. Jesus comes and he comes to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, get up. And Lazarus comes out and everybody sees that Lazarus, who was dead, is now alive. And it says this in John 12, 11. Because on account of him, Lazarus, this guy who was dead, now walking around, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. That's the same thing that's happening here, is all of these people in the area, they're like, hey, that guy walking by. Isn't that Aeneas? Isn't he the Matt guy? He shouldn't be walking. How did that happen? 
And, like, and everyone's there seeing this and the testimony of God's goodness and his grace and his power and his might and his authority to not just leave him stuck there, but to intervene in his life and do a supernatural come down from heaven kind of miracle, it causes God to get glory in such a way that they all, look what it says at the end of the verse, they turn to the Lord. That phrase, turn to the Lord, it's three times in the book of Acts. And every time it's there, it has to do with a repenting or a leaving worldliness or an embracing godliness. They get their eyes off of the world and onto the one who can help them, and everything's different. We need to do this. If we're going to continue on this life and battle our way through not climbing onto mats, and when we find ourselves on a mat, continuing to honor God with what we do, we need to, I would underline those last words in that verse, turn to the Lord. He is the answer. I love that old chorus. We're going to sing it at the end of the service. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Think about that for a second. It makes so much sense. When we turn to the Lord, when we get our eyes off of the things that are all around us that distract us and pull us away from him, and we get our eyes fixed on the one who loved us so much that he laid down his life for us, who has all power and all authority, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, even though all of these things, they still happen. The things of the world just go strangely dim. The verse says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't mean that you don't go through that anymore, but you don't fear evil because he is with you. Because your eyes are on the one who can help you. Because you have your hope fixed in Jesus. Your dependence is filled with faith because you know who he is. Now, if you're like, okay, I get that. I need that. How does this work? Well, it starts with, have you embraced the base deliverance from the problem of sin? Because before you get to all of these other mats and difficult situations in your life, the eternal issue of the consequences of sin is what we are all facing on our own. And so in, again, I plead with you, if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus and been rescued from this mat today, loved one, he is the answer. He wants you to know that he cares for you. And there's so many other areas that you may know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin, that he's going to work and move in your life in different ways, and I don't know what those are going to look like, but in his grace and sovereignty, he does. But he wants you to come to him and have your sins forgiven. If you have your sins forgiven in Jesus Christ, though, you need to know, listen, you don't have to be stuck on the mat anymore. You might sit there for quite a long time. It might be very difficult but God in his love and his mercy, he's not walked away. He's not turned away. He doesn't not know where you are. He knows exactly where you are. Now, maybe you've willfully put yourself on that mat through sin. Loved one, in Jesus' name today, do not be filled with guilt, but be flooded with grace. God cares for you so much. This is why Jesus came to this earth. This is why he laid down his life, because he doesn't want you to be stuck in this anymore. And if you're there and you're sitting on that mat and you'd like to not be there because you didn't get yourself there, you just need to know he still cares for you. And it's not confusing to him, although it may be confusing to you and I. In his love and in his mercy, he cares for us so much. And what we need to do is look to him. 
Now, I wrote down just three simple things that I need to do, I know, in my life to look to him more. And I would encourage you to write these things down. And the first one is get in God's word. Now, if you're writing that down right now and you're like, somebody says this every week to us, that we need to read God's word, that's because we need to read God's word more. We walk around the world like this all the time. We're looking at the things of this world, and they're getting bigger and bigger in our eyes, and we're getting more and more discouraged. How do we get the things of this world to go strangely dim? We turn our eyes upon Jesus. How do we turn our eyes upon Jesus? He has given us this book to reveal himself to us. So if you're sitting there and you're like, I'm discouraged, I don't know if I can trust God because I don't know God, because I don't read his word, I would tell you, you should read his word more. Build your faith and your trust in Jesus by getting into the book that reveals himself to us. The second thing I wrote down was genuine pattern of worship. Did you know that on our church website, we post the songs that we sing like every week? Why do we do that? We don't do it to kill time. We do it so that you can go and you can like click on the link and wherever it takes you to Apple Music or Spotify or whatever it is that you listen to music on. And you can then go and listen to that throughout your week. So when you are on the mat of I hate my job and discontentment and you're on your way to the other mat of my family drives me crazy, you can put the radio on or or your CD player or your whatever you're listening to music on and remind yourself of the truth and the goodness and the love of God. We just sang that new song this morning, The Passion. I would encourage you, go download that song. We've been singing it at youth for a little while. I love that song. The gospel is throughout that song. So when you get from one mat to the next, you've been filled up with the truth. You've been turning your eyes upon Jesus. So when you get to these other things of the world that would so distract you, they begin to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace because you've been making worship a practice. Getting God's word, worship, and then just sincere, genuine prayer talking to the Lord, calling out to the Lord, coming before him. Our world tries to lie to us. The evil one tries to lie to us. You don't need help. You can do it. You can survive. No, what we need is a supernatural healing. We need rescuing from this mat. We are desperately, desperately dependent. But our world lies to us. We lie to ourselves. We believe our flesh. We don't need help. We do need help. The help for our healing and our hurt, it comes in Jesus Christ. We need to get our eyes on him. And the more we get our eyes on Jesus, the more our faith will be filled up to fully depend on him.